You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Jean Chatsky, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. My mother convinced my brother to stay home. He was 10 years old, and it didn't take much wrangling to get him not to go to school. You see, he wasn't sick. The reason why she wanted him to stay home was so that he could get the mail. And so he waited and he waited and at one o'clock it arrived and he leafed through the letters and found the important one and called my mom at work. She had just started in a Big Ten CPA firm. As he opened the letter to her CPA exam, he started reading carefully at the top and she kept trying to hurry him through to get to the bottom and eventually he read off the most important part. Section one, past. Section two, past. Section three, past. She heaved a huge sigh of relief. You see, my mom had disadvantages. This was the 1980s, and she was 40 years old, and most of her colleagues at the Big Ten firm were in their 20s and just graduated college. Most of them were men. And almost none of them had children. So when she was tending to us, they were all studying for their CPA exams. And then on top of all that, tragedy hit. You see, a month before my mom started her job, my father went to work one morning and had a blood vessel burst in his brain and he died suddenly. So not only was she new to the workplace, At this job where she was clearly the minority, now she had a whole other host of worries to think about. And I think about this a lot. Those who start with disadvantages, and usually it's of no fault of their own, have a particularly hard time when life changes abruptly. Women, people of color, non-cisgender, facing a death in the family, a recession, unemployment, a pandemic? How do they survive? Jean Chatsky is the CEO of HerMoney.com and a host of the podcast, Her Money with Jean Chatsky. The financial editor of NBC Today for 25 years and the financial ambassador for AARP, she appears frequently on CNN, MSNBC, and was a recurring guest on The Oprah Winfrey Show. She is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. Her latest book is Women with Money, The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stressed, Purposeful, and Yes, Rich 
life you deserve. Jean, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so sorry about your dad. You know, it was a particularly hard time. And only as an adult do I really appreciate what she must have went through, not only as a single mother, but as a woman in the workplace in a very male-dominated field. Yeah, I, I, I spent the early years of my career in male-dominated workplaces, many of them. I mean, some of them were actually more female-dominated, but I, I worked on Wall Street for a little while. I worked in personal finance journalism, which at that point was a sea of gray-haired men. And it is, it is absolutely tough. And I have the luxury of having raised my own children with plenty of support, both from their dad, but also just from, from the fact that we had resources to help take care of them when, when we could not be around. And so, boy, I I mean, kudos to your mom. My, my mother got her master's degree when I was in middle school. And I, I remember, I vividly remember her getting up to study from five to seven in the morning before any of the rest of us were awake, my brothers and I, my father because that was the only time that she could get it done. And even now, when I write a book, that's how I write a book. I get up at five to seven in the morning, and I just use those two hours before the world is awake to to do it, because that's sort of, I think, how we find our strength and how we find our resilience. It certainly gives me pause as an adult. I, I can't complain over any of my hardships after watching what my mom went through. I'm going to cut to the chase a little bit here. On episode 219 of the Her Money podcast, you interviewed Megan Smith on pride, inclusion, and eradicating bias. And I'm going to quote you here because I really love what you said. And you said this in your intro. You said, so I'm feeling more confident than ever that every one of you listening today would probably agree with me that we are a nation. We are a world that needs change. And it feels like in so many ways, we are finally getting there with more people leaning into the fact that Black Lives Matter, more companies taking measures to eradicate the gender wage gap, more schools taking steps to support children who are transitioning, and the U.S. Congress more female today than at any point in its history. I really love this quote because in the beginning, you talk about the fact that we really do need change, but you also make a nod to all of the advances that we have made. So let's talk about the United States pre-pandemic. We're talking March, 2020. If you were to grade us on gender equity and equality, how well do you think we're doing? Mm. I don't wanna give us too low a grade because I feel like that could be demoralizing and stop positive action in its tracks. Change is change is frustratingly slow, right? I when I when I sat down to write Women with Money, I did it because we were at this inflection point where women not only have more money, but if you look out into the future, you could see, and again, this was before the pandemic where women have taken the brunt of it financially. But you could see there was this point not too 
far in the future where women were going to have most of the wealth across the world. And where even though it was going to take years and years and years and years to close the gender wage gap, we were making significant progress. And so, I don't know, B minus, maybe C. I, I don't, I don't want to go lower than that because I, I do feel like I feel like the millennials before the pandemic pushed us along. The millennials were really pushing us along and getting us to talk about salary and to be more transparent and to really help each other. We are going to talk about how things have changed post-pandemic and COVID. But before we do, I'm interested you have written for or reported for some of the biggest outlets out there, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, the Today Show, many others. When you started your career, did you think you were going to be talking about money from a woman's perspective for women? Or is that something you developed later on? When I started my career, I didn't think I was going to be talking about money at all. I mean, when I started my career, I thought I was going to be more of a generalist. I I worked at Working Woman Magazine. That was one of the female-dominated workplaces. But I, I was the assistant to the business editor. And I learned that I actually liked writing about business. So I tried to get a job at Forbes, failed, ended up working on Wall Street, and then found my way back into business journalism and from there into personal finance journalism. But no, I mean, for, for the first, I, I always had an interest in, in writing for women. I, I wrote my first book specifically for women more than a decade ago. But I, I because the Today Show audience was my audience, it, I was reporting for the masses. I mean, there's nothing about 401ks that are blue or pink, right? There, there's there are a lot of topics that 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 cross over. I really started focusing on women when I realized after years of giving speeches and and talks that when I was in a room that was a hundred percent women, the conversation was just electric in terms of the q and a period. The questions would flow, and people would want to share. And when I was in a a group that was mixed gender-wise, it wasn't like that. It was much more sedate and people didn't feel as comfortable asking for the information that they needed. And so in creating Her Money, both the podcast and the website, I wanted to create a safe space where women could get the financial information that they need and not have to worry that we were going to be judged. In fact, it's it's a touch ironic, right? You almost started your career at New Woman Magazine coming out of college and decided to work at a department store instead. Is that true? You did your homework. Yes, <laughs> I did. And I did it for the money, if you have to know. No, when I when I I had a I had a journalism full resume in college. Like you would look at my resume in college with internships after internships, and it was clear exactly where I was going to go. But I went to a school that was very professional, where there were a lot of executive recruiters coming to interview students. And so I just dropped my resume in a couple of boxes 
and went on some interviews and I was offered a job at New Woman Magazine in New York for $12,000 a year as an editorial assistant and offered a job as an associate in the training program, management training program at G. Fox in Hartford, Connecticut, which was a department store for $24,000. And I saw dollar signs and I took that offer and bought a car and leased an apartment and knew on day two that I blew it. You knew right away. I knew right away. It took me three months to sublease the apartment and extricate myself from the job and find another job in New York, which ironically only paid $11,500 a year. But yeah, I, I managed to, to switch gears with the help of, help of my parents who took the car. So I want to transition to what's happening in the world today. You gave us a grade on pre-pandemic gender equity. You said B minus. Let's talk about what's happening with all the economic, social, and political upheaval. Has that affected that grade? Has it gotten worse, do you think, in the last few months? Yeah, absolutely. They're calling this a she session. And there's a really good reason for that. If you look at the statistics, and I had help pulling this together, we have, um, so we publish two new pieces of content or more every day at Her Money. And one of our, our writers, Diana Yoakum, pulled together just the statistical story of how this pandemic has impacted women. And women have suffered 54% of the job losses. The unemployment rate is much higher for women than it is for men overall. We are in the more vulnerable jobs, the more vulnerable industries, retail, hospitality, education, health services. When you look at the percent of people, I mean, I'm sure you've discussed on this podcast how this is a, a strange, a strange recession in that when we went into it, we thought it was going to be, or we hoped at least it would be a V-shaped recession. Then it looked like maybe we were going to have a W with a couple of dips. And now what they're saying we have is a K, a K-shaped recession where some people, half the people, the ones who are able to work from home, the ones who have not suffered a loss in their income, are do, the ones who have money in the markets are doing great, or at least as well as they were before. And the others are just suffering, and so much more so since the $600 in federal unemployment benefits went away. And so when you look at the percentage of employed people who are able to work from home, only 62% of men are able to, only 47% of, of women. And, and I could go on. I mean, the, you know, women take on the lion's share of household work, the lion's share of caregiving responsibilities, and it's resulted in a huge drop in the productivity of women. Let's talk about caregiving. You know, there was an article that came out a few months ago that I saw in financial circles pretty much saying that if we go back to virtual school this year, many women won't be able to keep their high-level professional jobs. This is really impactful, even for the professional who's stuck in the house with young kids. We could lose a generation of professional women from the workplace. I mean, that's what it means, right? And, and it's different from when you have a child and you are deciding whether or not 
to continue to work outside the home. Often the calculation that I hear, and and I hear the same thing when we have a parent who needs care and and we're looking at taking a step back to to care for for older parents often you hear the calculation well gosh when i run the numbers it's going to cost me just as much money to hire somebody as as it is to earn my salary it's going to be a wash and the argument that i i often will make particularly if i'm talking to somebody who really would prefer to remain in the workforce is you can't look at it like that. You have to think about the social security credits. You have to think about the fact that you're going to lose that time climbing up the ladder and you may have to take a step back when you re-enter and that re-entry may be more difficult than you thought it was going to be from the beginning. But right now, We're scared to bring other people into our homes to care for our kids. We're scared to put our parents in the in in the care of other people. And we're terrified to allow them to go into a facility where the death rates are just I mean, I'm talking to a doctor, right? I mean, this is it is a problem without an answer right now. And I have I've thought for a long time that if we are going to really level the playing field as far as men and women if we're going to and and genders across across the board if we are going to bring parity care child care and adult daycare or however you want to do with it caregiving that's the thing we have to solve for to make it happen You and I talked about this briefly before we started recording, but it's exactly the reason why I like using the word equity and not equality. We talk about gender equality a lot, and many people will point to the workplace and say, look, as a woman, you can rise through the corporate ranks and look, they're women CEOs of X, Y, and Z companies. But we don't take into account equity, which is giving people what they need to succeed part of the equity equation is either providing some of that caregiver role elsewhere or for men to take on some of that so that we can create a better playing field for everybody. And I think that gets lost in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been searching for maybe two years now for this brilliant column. And I'm a, I'm a really good searcher on Google. Like I am, <laughs> I am a crack searcher on Google and I cannot find this story. So if anybody hears it and knows what I'm talking about, please send it to me. But there was this column written by a guy who had gone with his wife to Canada where she had gotten a job as a magazine editor. And she had the the higher paying career, but they, so they, they followed her and their life changed so dramatically just because Canada has a childcare system that works. And he, he wrote about how he was able to pursue his work, which I don't even remember what it was, but you know, this column from the perspective of a man who had benefited was, I thought, unusual and and pretty remarkable, and I wish I could find it. Another angle which I think we sometimes overlook is that women are fulfilling a lot of these roles of essential workers. I look at my world, the hospital world, a lot of the doctors and nurses and techs are women. 
if you go out into the world and look at the grocery stores and the shops and even the meatpacking plants, et cetera, there are a lot of women employed in these places and are at risk, not just economically, but from a health perspective. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I certainly don't have all those statistics at, at my fingertips, but I, I think you're, I think you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. And we will just have to see how that, how that shakes out as these businesses and industries, you know, as, as, as the world starts to come back. But I do think it's important to point out, we can't talk about how this is affecting women without talking about how much worse it is for women of color. Mm-hmm. You know, black women are bearing the brunt of this. Latina women are bearing the brunt of this. It is, you know, it, it is far, far worse for them than it is for women overall. And it's bad for women overall. A few moments ago, you mentioned some of the burdens of caregiving lost social security, but there's also this fact of losing your place in the corporate structure. It's easy for us to look at what's going on right now and say, okay, at some point the pandemic is going to resolve and everyone's going to go back to work and everything is going to be okay. But there are long-term effects of what's happening to now, especially for women in the workplace. Yeah, I, I think we're at this strange inflection point where we're thinking about whether things like continuing to work from home for good will be possible. I mean, I think I think there I think there's a lot of good that can come from having some more flexibility. Think I think the fact that perhaps we'll be able to choose to live in places that are less expensive, that offer more in the way of space and resources, you know, having grown up in the Midwest, I'm all for that. But I also, I, yeah, I also do think, I, I mentioned I started at, at Working Woman magazine, and that magazine was basically devoted to breaking the glass ceiling. Like that was what it was about. And it went away, I think, when it seemed like we had made enough progress that we didn't need to have that as a cover story every single issue. But if we don't reclaim our places at the table with some significant face time, I think, I think we're going to have given up a lot. Let me ask a little bit more difficult of a question. Right now is just a different time. We have social unrest. The Black Lives Matter movement is really been front and center in what's happening in the United States. How do you think these movements have either complemented or taken away from the gender equity movement? Is it a good thing to have all these other movements going on at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. I think just like you can't talk about health and finance separately anymore, I think this is all part, it's all part of the same problem. And we're going to need multiple solutions in order to solve it. I've been kind of in awe of the number of vaccines that are under development, but it's possible we're going to need them all. 
and and we're never sure where the solution that's going to catch fire is going to come from. So, I, yeah, I, I think I think the fact that we have people planting various stakes in the ground is additive. It, it it's not diluting the problem. I'm going to embarrass you again by bringing up another episode. Episode 217, you were talking to the CNBC correspondent and your close friend, Sharon Epperson, about social unrest and how it must feel to be a Black woman. And I'm going to quote you here again. You say, you and I are friends, right? I mean, we've been friends for a long, long time. What are the words that I should be using to support you? What can I say? I mean, I have nothing in my privileged life to put myself in the shoes that you are walking in right now. I can pull on experiences that I might think might be something like that, but I know they're really not. What helps to hear? What helps to do? And I would actually ask you that same question as a white male looking at the women who've surrounded my life, who've had a profound effect, like my mother and my wife and my daughter, what can we do to make this better? I think we can do a couple of things. I think we have to act in both large and small ways. And the small ways are in many respects even more impactful. So if there is... If, if you are bringing somebody onto your team and you have the opportunity to bring on a woman or a woman of color and to mentor her and to help her establish herself and, and have a fabulous career, then that, that, I mean, that is huge. That's, it's just huge. But also in, in the, ways that we support various organizations, expose our children to those organizations, have the discussions that we have to be having at the dinner table. I mean, you know, you have to you have to talk about and and participate as much as you can in the global national movement that is that is underfoot. And then you have to do the small things to bring up one person at a time. Yeah, I think back to my mom's trajectory and, you know, she, it was a rarity that someone in her position would have been even hired to a big 10 accounting firm back in the early 1980s, being 40 years old and having children. So there was a subset of people who definitely gave her a chance and decided to move away from the grain and do things differently. And I'll forever be thankful for it. I can only imagine what our economic future would have been like if she hadn't had that first job after my father died. So Jean, tell me, are you optimistic? Do you think things are going to get better? I'm an optimistic person in general. I'm pretty nervous right now about the world between now and January. I I think that whichever way the election goes, we are going to have social unrest and we're going to have turmoil. And as a mom, you know, I worry about the safety and the security of, of, you know, my kids and my nieces and my nephews and my community. Long term, of course, I'm optimistic. Long term, I think, I, I think we will get through this as we've gotten through so many other terrible situations. But I, I do very, very much worry about the 
huge section of the nation that is in the the lower half of that K. I mean, because of the $600 that made its way through federal stimulus into, into unemployment paychecks, they haven't felt the recession until now. And they're going to feel it. And it's going to be awful. And so I hope Congress can get its act together to get some more stimulus out the door until we figure out how to fix this health problem. Your description of what's going on now is a K-shaped recovery, I think is incredibly apt. This was a very fast recession, and we already may be on the very slow upswing. But if you're on that upper part of the K, you may have no idea what it's like to be out there in the world on the other side. And I, like you, have a lot of fear and worry about what's coming in the next six to 12 months but hope, as I think you do, that optimistically this turmoil will eventually lead to a better life for all of our society, not just those who have money already or are at the top of the K. Gene, I'll end this episode the way I end every episode, by asking you what's up next in your life. And if we want to know more, where can we find you? So you can find me at hermoney.com. Um, please sign up for our newsletters and subscribe to the podcast. We put a lot of work and a lot of heart into all the content that we create, and I'm on all the social media channels. And as for what's next, we are launching a coaching program through Her Money coming up a little bit later in the year, and I'm very, very excited about that. This has been the Earn and Invest Podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Gene Chatsky. That's a wrap. As we move out of the recession and pandemic, many of us are looking for a way to get ahead. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing. And there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals. And let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Wish you were in early on some of the best-performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020? Our crowd investors were, and now you can join them in what's next. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing, like Beyond Meat, or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. 
Today, you can join our crowd's investment in Texi, a software startup that helps technicians and customer service teams see what the customer sees without ever stepping inside their home or office. It's safe, easy, and already revolutionizing how companies like Vodafone, Verizon, and Samsung support their customers. Let's learn a little bit more about Texi. Texi uses patented technology combining video, augmented reality, and computer vision AI, allowing companies to keep their customer service up and running, reducing costs and enhancing their customer experience. As the category leader in the visual assistance space and with remote support being essential during the pandemic, Texi is uniquely positioned to continue to maximize their market share with leading enterprise companies. You can get in early on Texi and other unique opportunities at rcrowd.com slash EAI. If you're interested in investing, you need to join our crowd. The our crowd account is free. Just go to OURCROWD.com slash EAI. So I am so excited. We have Tori Dunlop here from Her First 100K, which is a platform. And, and I do say platform because we're really talking about a blog and courses, and she's on almost every social media channel, a platform which has helped 350,000 women, yes, 350,000 women negotiate salary, pay off debt, and build savings and invest. I'm so happy to have you here. It's her first 100K, but I feel like we should redub you her first 60K because we're talking about how much money she made on TikTok in the last six weeks. Tori, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so stoked to be here. This is such a great conversation. One is I am 47 years old. So it takes me a long time to get onto new social media channels. Tell me a little bit about what TikTok is. If you had to describe it in a sentence or two, what is it? Oh, gosh. Um, a sentence or two might be difficult, but I, I think it's, it's obviously a social media site, but I have never seen a social media site quite like TikTok. So if you didn't know, my, my background is actually in marketing. So before I became her first 100K, before I started that business, my nine to five was in social media marketing. And so I was on all of these platforms, you know, both as a consumer and as someone who was, you know, trying to grow a business or trying to go brands. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time on Facebook, lots of time on Instagram, but I've never seen something exactly like TikTok. And TikTok, you're posting either 15 second or 60 second videos. A lot of it is either aspirational content or educational content. And I think for one of the first times, we're really seeing more people consuming content on this platform than creating it, which means if you're a creator, it's a really good time to be on TikTok. So I've never seen growth in a platform like TikTok. It took me about three days to do on TikTok in terms of followers, what it took me three years to do on Instagram. So the growth there is staggering. The algorithm is super specific to the individual. And it's just, I think, a really fun, creative platform. I think it's almost more of like an entertainment platform than a, than a typical social media platform. One of the things someone who's a little bit outsider TikTok notices is the first thing you see are all the music and dancing. Is yeah. that like an important part of the platform or do you not, can you completely not do that stuff? You can totally not do that. I think the music part is important because what happens is the sound, not necessarily even music, but the sound you're recording to 
other people will record to as well. So sometimes you can get discovered or your content can get found via a sound. It's almost like another hashtag, right? The sound you use can be the way that someone discovers your new content. And so I think, again, it, there's something about TikTok where it either has to be one of three things. It has to be entertaining, meaning it's somebody like doing crazy stunts or it's really funny or somebody is singing and they're really great or it's educational. And that's really what I'm trying to do where, you know, it's, it's a vegan chef telling you, teaching you a new recipe or something like that, or, you know, my own content about personal finance or it's aspirational. It's a travel blogger who's showing you all of the places they've been in the last year. So I think that one of those niches uh, and finding content that, that you can fit uh, or creating content in one of those niches can be really helpful. And then the sounds or the music you're using is just part of what's helping you get your content out there. But no, you don't have to know the say so dance in order to, to go viral on TikTok. And I definitely, I definitely don't dance. I do a lot of kind of like pointing in the air at like different things, which sounds cheesy, I guess, until you see it, but maybe it's still cheesy when you see it. But it's, yeah, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be like a really hot teenager dancing in order to do well on TikTok. How are the barriers to entry as a content producer? Are people putting out really polished stuff out there or is it more off the cuff? It really depends. And I love that question. You have some people who are spending hours and hours on their TikToks and they typically do well, right? Because you can tell, or they'll literally say in the caption, this took me 10 hours. Don't let it flop. <laughs> you know, like they're very, very clear with people. I, I will typically get on no makeup. You'll, you'll see like four videos in my same outfit. Cause I really don't care. And you know, I can create uh, most of my videos in under 10 minutes. So it really depends on your brand. It depends on who you are. Yeah, we have people who are doing like these crazy transitions because part of what TikTok is, is made for, right, is you can, you can splice and cut really short clips. So there's this one girl in particular, I'm trying to remember her handle, but yeah, she just does these really crazy transitions that look like she's almost like, it sounds creepy, but her head's coming off at one point and like she's changing like a bunch of, you know, her, her outfit and her sweatshirt a bunch of times and it's so cool. Obviously that takes more effort. And so it's a certain amount of, again, is it entertaining? Is it the wow factor? And that's probably you spent a lot of time on it or is it educational, aspirational? Maybe you're spending a lot of time or maybe you're doing it to your point more off the cuff. It sounds like you've been pretty successful. How often, how long does it usually take you to create something for TikTok? Yeah, it's crazy because I only really started trying on TikTok a little over six weeks ago. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I was primed and ready for it, right? I had the credibility, I had the information, I had all of these things. But yeah, I, you know, I went, I went viral, got over 1.5 million views on a video, and things just kind of took off from there. So really, that 400,000 followers is in the last six weeks, which is insane. And for me, the, the average video, there's some that take me longer if I have a longer video where I'm explaining something more. So I did a video about what I call the financial priority list of what to do in what order, right? Or the financial game plan of like, okay, emergency fund first, high interest debt, et cetera. That takes a little more time just because it's more text and it's a longer video because uh, a lot of what TikTok is, is you're timing your text based on if you're pointing at it or if the, the beat of the music. And so you kind of have to time it in a certain way. 
So that might take me 20, 25 minutes. But most of these videos, especially if they're short and if I'm just covering one, one concept, it's just the text that I have to write and the hashtags that I have to look up. So it's less than 15 minutes. Tell us about that first viral moment. What was the piece of content you produced? And if you can, contrast it to how it felt different than a viral moment maybe on another platform if you've had them before. Yeah, I mean, I I went viral quite a few times in 2019 uh, after like my story was published on certain media outlets. Uh, I was on Good Morning America in 2019. This did not compare. Uh, This was next level, to be honest, like in terms of virality, like Good Morning America is a career highlight and always will be. But I was getting 100 followers every 10 seconds on TikTok. Wow. It was insane. I have never, again, never seen growth like this, both as a consumer and as someone who nerds out on social media platforms. Like I have never seen growth like this. The content, the piece of content I created kind of was actually more aspirational. It was talking about the ability for me to um, have grown a business where I could quit my job. And it was basically like a highlight reel of all of the things I have done since I quit my job. So, you know, hitting my 100K at 25, my business revenue for this year. And that's the fun thing about TikTok is you can kind of, you can kind of do that is you can showcase and almost be a little braggy, but also humble in the same way that like, Hopefully it's inspiring people and then they find you and then they can learn either how to do it themselves, right? Or how to feel more financially confident. And that's my goal. And I think the reason it went viral is because my credibility was right there. It was all of the screenshots of like places, you know, media outlets I've been featured on, um, you know, how much money my business has made. And so, yeah, it, I mean, a hundred followers every about 10 seconds. It was, I've never seen anything like it. You know, a few things come to mind as I hear you answer that question. The first and foremost is that you were a person who worked in social media before. So when you say that this viral moment was different than other moments, that has a certain amount of credibility because this is something you definitely have experience with. The other notable point is this happened to you at a time that you were ready for it. So in a sense, you had been building up your platform, your message, and your credibility as an expert for years. So it was like, it was the right place and right time. And this media happened to catch you perfectly, which is really, really cool. Let's translate this into the monetization piece. So you've said that you've made $60,000 in the last six weeks on this platform. Tell us a little bit about how you calculated that number. Yeah. So a lot of the conversions I've been seeing the biggest reason I've, I've hit that, that $60,000 on TikTok in the last six weeks is actually my affiliate partners. So I've sold quite a few of my products through TikTok, but what's, what's been really helpful is um, like I have a partnership with a bank and I talk about a high-yield savings account a lot. And if I can come on and give this super actionable piece of content of like, hey, you're losing money if you don't have a high-yield savings account, and especially for a lot of people who are you know, on TikTok, they're Gen Z or maybe early millennials and don't have a great knowledge of personal finance. So for a lot of people, a high yield savings account is like, oh my gosh, I've never heard of this thing. And so if I can give them again, educational content of here's this platform. And also the link that, you know, I are the link to the one I recommend is in my bio. I've, I saw, yeah, about $50,000 in affiliate revenue just from sending people to a partner that I know and trust and believe in. So 
that was a good chunk of it. And then some of my own products too. And so that's the cool thing on TikTok is if you can give this educational advice, right. And then you can give them the next step. So it's not just teaching them what is a high yield savings account, but for me, it was also thinking to myself from a business standpoint, well, I have a high yield savings account partner. So if I can talk about this thing, that's going to be helpful and then link them to the one that I recommend if they, you know, if they go through that link, amazing. I've just made some, made some money. And if for whatever reason it doesn't work out, well, they just learn something, right? If, if that partner is not right for them, they'll find another one that works. So yeah, I mean, it, it was again, pretty incredible to see, uh, I think I get about a hundred dollars to $125 per conversion on that high yield savings account. And again, what is that, you know, 60,000 divided by that. So we had quite a few people sign up for, for a high yield savings account through that link. Yeah, let's contrast this to something like YouTube, where the monetization is built in, and after you get a certain number of subscribers, you can insert ads, etc. These were pre-existing revenue streams that spiked because of the increased number of followers and people who are now aware of your platform. Yeah, and TikTok actually does monetize as well, which I don't think a lot of people know. So they have what's called a creator fund. So it's more about your likes and views in, in TikTok. Um, there are ads in TikTok, but I don't think right now a creator can get revenue directly from an ad reel. But yeah, if you, if your video goes viral, like I had a video go viral again two weeks ago, and normally I probably make about $15 a day on the platform through the creator fund. I think I made 70 that day. Yeah, there are ways that you, you don't have to just promote your own, own content or promote, you know, a a service or a product, you can also make a little bit of money through the platform as well. Now, before everyone goes and races off to TikTok (laughs) to further their monetary gain, there are certain groups of people that utilize TikTok and others that don't. So for instance, I'm a 47-year-old male. That is not the first place I would naturally go. It sounds like TikTok fits your avatar, so to speak, the type of people that you're speaking to through your different forms of content creation. Yeah. So it's very much in my customer persona of a young woman in her twenties or thirties who is, you know, viewing uh, personal finance as a, you know, as a form of protest and a form of activism. And so financial feminism, I think does really well on TikTok. I, I love that you bring this up though, because as a marketer, I, I saw so many past clients or, you know, so many of the brands I worked with in, in my career scrambled to be on this new platform, right? Oh, like, oh, Snapchat. We, okay, we have to be on Snapchat, right? And we have to be on Pinterest and we have to be on Reddit and we have to be everywhere, right? And what happens, of course, is that especially if you're a solopreneur or if you only have one marketing person, and I was often the like team of one marketer, you, you just, you can't do well on all of these platforms, if you're trying, if you're trying to be everywhere, because then you're doing like 25% as opposed to a hundred percent on one or two platforms. So if your audience is not on TikTok, you, you, there's no reason to be right. If your audience to your point is, is men in their forties or fifties, they're probably not on TikTok. They're probably not there, but that doesn't mean don't look into it. Like if figure out is your audience on TikTok, there's a lot of content actually that again is not just hot teenagers dancing. There's a lot of content that that is for other people. And again, I think we're at a really interesting time where it's still a new enough that more people are consuming than creating. And there is, I think, 
a, a little bit of a barrier to entry in terms of shooting. I've never, I've never seen, and now Instagram reels have, has kind of copied this concept. So if you've done an Instagram reel, you can probably do a TikTok. But the reason why I actually waited for as long as I did is I didn't understand. I didn't know how to shoot a TikTok. I didn't know how to, how to go about doing that. And so if you do want to get started, just like start, get your hands dirty, start, start putting stuff out, even if it isn't good. And then you can figure it out as you go. It definitely also speaks to the point that if you really want to decide if this new social media offering fits your needs, you really have to be a user to start with. Like you have to kind of delve into it and say, does it meet my needs? Are my people here? And then you can jump into content. And one thing people don't realize is it's such a fast paced moving world nowadays that you can kind of fumble those first few content productions. They don't have to be perfect. Sometimes it's just jumping in and starting. I have, yeah, I have, I think six or seven videos that I just made because I thought they were funny and they had no, they were not related to personal finance at all. It was me just kind of trying stuff out. And really I was a consumer on TikTok for over half a year before I, yeah, quote, started trying. So I think that actually really helped me. I understood, started to understand what worked on TikTok, what, what trends were, how people consumed content, because I think it is, it is a very particular platform in terms of just the culture of the platform, I think is a lot different. And you talk about fast paced. I don't think there's a faster paced platform, to be honest. It's super fast. And the other interesting thing too, is that like the lifespan of a tweet is about 17 minutes on average. I had a, like the one that went viral a couple weeks ago, um, was four years old or four years old, four days old when it, when it blew up again. So that's the other interesting thing is, you know, you can have quote unquote older content that, that can still do well, um, as opposed to potentially these other social media platforms where like, I think an Instagram post, yeah, your average, I think the average lifespan of that's a couple hours, four to five hours. So yeah, you're, again, you're seeing, you're seeing more engagement potentially than on any other platform. We've been talking about the upsides quite a bit. Any downsides to TikTok? Anything you don't like about it? I mean, it might get banned. So, (laughs) you know, that's something that I think we need to discuss. Um, It might not be here. And it is like any social media platform. You are building on borrowed land. I am actually in a shadow ban right now. TikTok has shadow banned me, which means that my content is not showing up on anybody's For You pages, which is like their home pages. So... It wasn't even like they tell you you've gotten shadow banned. Like sometimes it just happens. So I'm in like TikTok jail for two weeks, which means I'm actually like losing followers and no one's seeing my content. So those are the downsides that can happen on any social media platform. But um, we're seeing it, especially with TikTok. I have multiple people who've reached out to me and been like, I'm also in TikTok jail. So that's something to be aware of. I think that, yeah, again, if your audience isn't there, I really don't want you to worry about it. Like if, if they're not there, I, I don't, I don't want you trying to stress about it because yeah, it is, it is a lot of Gen Z, a lot of younger millennials. And if that's not your audience, don't, don't bother with TikTok. Tori, oh Tori, what did you do to get into TikTok jail? <laughs> I, I mean, we can talk about it. I don't know. Actually, I don't know if you can air it cause I think it's slightly inappropriate, but, um, if you know, only fans, do you know what only fans is? No. <laughs> OnlyFans is like a subscription site that a lot of women are using in like a sexual way. And so what I did was I went on and I was just like, hey, if you're on OnlyFans and you're making a lot of money because there's all of these 
just everyday people, like not porn stars or anything, everyday people who are making so much money on this site. And I was like, hey, if you're on OnlyFans making a lot of money, here's how you manage it. And that was the only mention. It was not obviously in any way sexual. It was not, uh, and it was just the algorithm knows if you said something that could be deemed inappropriate, like OnlyFans, right? Because the content on OnlyFans is inappropriate. So I posted that video about a week ago and I w- I'm in TikTok jail because of it. And I didn't know that until I was literally in the midst of going viral and everything stopped. So it's a good point, which brings up this idea. And I'm sure as a marketer, you tell people about this all the time. It's that kind of hub and spoke method where you have to have a hub that you own, which is where you right. house most of your content and information. And the social media, the TikToks, Instagrams, and Twitters are spokes. And so, yeah, it kind of sucks when one of those spokes is taken out, but it. Right if you have your customer list and your platform and your blog or podcast or whatever it is that houses your platform, you have to own that piece or you can get in trouble. And we see a lot of people lose their business model as soon as an algorithm changes. And it can really take you out of business if you think that's how you're going to make a living for a long term if you're not careful. Yeah. Building on borrowed land is very, very real. So tell us what is coming up in the future for her first 100K. You left your job, what was it, a year or two ago? No, it was less than a year. It was in November of last year. So yeah, it's been nine months, 10 months. My first full month of entrepreneurship was in January of this year. So yeah, things have been wild. (laughs) And how are you finding life as an entrepreneur? I love it. It's been really great. I feel so lucky. I feel really... Yeah. And I'm really glad that I made a smart choice and didn't know it was so smart in building a largely online business. So there's, I mean, to be honest, not much of my business has changed. A couple speaking events got canceled, but other than that, like it's been nothing, nothing has shifted um, in my, I'm in my business at least. Yeah. I, I just feel so lucky to be in, in this arena where I can work from home and I can, you know, continue to grow my business in a way that's sustainable. Yeah, I mean, entrepreneurship has been really lovely. It hasn't been without its challenges, but this is this is what I knew I wanted, and so I'm 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 just just loving it. It's been a strange conversation we've been having over the last few months on Earn and Invest because on the one side we have a pandemic and a recession and unemployment right. and people losing losing jobs, and on the other side. We've also had a little bit of a focus on people who are doing things differently, either finding online entrepreneurship or finding ways to expand or change their business. This is an ever-changing world. Social media is ever-changing. How we get our information out there uh, may not look like tomorrow the way it does today. I wanted to thank you, Tori, for coming back on. The platform is her first 100K, talking about TikTok It is wonderful to see your success. And somehow I imagine that even TikTok jail will not hold you back. No, I think think we'll be okay. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Thanks for coming on. Hello. The joys of having everyone at home at the same time. Correct. (laughs) We're facing that too. I have a a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old and they're both homeschool or virtual schooling right now. So, Gotcha. There are a number of of, um, 
doctors in this space, huh? With Physician on Fire and... Yep, yep, there are. And a lot of us, you know, there's a subset of doctors who became somewhat disillusioned with being doctors and, you know, came upon financial independence at the same time. So more than you would think, I guess. How is, um, and I, I won't hijack this conversation, but how is COVID affecting the FIRE movement? Interestingly enough, and by the way, you're welcome to hijack it. I'm in no rush. So it's really based on your 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 time needs. Um, oh, I've, we found that the 2008-2009 recession actually pushed people more to financial independence. Yeah. And the fear always is that it's going to do the exact opposite. You're going to go into a big recession and people are going to pull away. But what we're finding is people are much more interested because they're looking at their financial lives and saying, wow, things are not stable. I'm not in a good place. This has really thrown me for a loop. How can I better prepare next time? So I think it's actually, it definitely is sticking around. Whether it's getting more adherence or not, we'll probably find out in the future. Interesting. All right. Well, I'm all yours. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.